This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome in everybody to another edition of the Go 24-7 podcast. I'm Matthew Bruni and joining me once again is Shay Dixon. Shay, we had a, a long day. Well, long, I guess it's not long days, but long time uh, meeting with all the new coaches over the past two days. Uh, Brian Kelly had his press conference to start each of the days. And then we had uh, all the coordinators come up, Matt House, Brian Polian, uh, and today Mike Denbrock all went to the podium. And then we split off and went to the back room, or I, I don't even know what to call it, the, but the room, and it was very cold. And we got to meet with all of the uh, assistant coaches um, of every position. So we got to see all 10 of the on-field coaches. Um, we're just going to run through this. We're going to give our kind of takeaways uh, from meeting with them, just what what uh, kind of stuck out as far as themes go from from the guys across the board. Uh, do you want? Let's start with the Wednesday group, the defense and special teams with Polian. Uh, what stood out? Was there a coach or anything like that that stood out to you uh, when we talked to them? I think all of them stood out. I think we could probably run down and we'll touch on each coach. I think I'll start with just Kelly because he talked both days. I felt like you remember in December when he had his introductory press conference and everyone joked that alignment was like mentioned. Not, it was like every other word was alignment, alignment, yeah. alignment. I felt like the buzzword this time was development. And, you know, I know that Brian Kelly harps on that, but I think he even sees development in spring ball, you know, of transforming into what kind of team they're going to be personnel wise, depth wise, all these different things. Uh, but also long-term development, obviously. And and I think he probably talks a lot about that and, and retention because of taking over a roster that had 39, 40 guys on scholarship at the bowl game. And how do you rebuild, rebuild that? And um, he touched on the transfer portal. I guess that's one thing that kind of jumped out to me. I'll, I'll tie Polian, who is sort of in charge of the transfer portal and recruiting coordinator, uh, coupled with what Kelly was saying about the portal. And he defined it, and, and these were Pullian's words, but Kelly talked about it the same way as they're going to view the transfer portal right now as a quick fix, right? That you need guys who you can, as they said, we need to field a team for Florida State, you know, the season opener in, in September. So they needed to hit the portal hard no matter what. Now, when you look at the portal beyond just, okay, we've got to address needs, they're viewing it in two ways, or I should say there are two types of players in the portal. One is a guy who's got one, maybe two years of eligibility remaining. Those guys would not fall into the developmental pool. They would fall into the quick fix pool. And from listening to Polian talk, I think the goal would obviously be over time to have that number shrink where you're only taking a couple of guys. Maybe it's a quarterback. Maybe it's uh, an O-lineman, some position of real need that can be, um, you know, you're a piece or two away from from competing for, you know, championships. And you really need to go out and fill those holes immediately and can't necessarily rely on development uh, to come through for you. Maybe you don't have proven guys there, whatever it is. But 
that number of guys with one to two years left, I, we, I guess we could probably just off the top of your head, think about it. You did all the breakdowns on them, but they want that number to be smaller, whether that's just a handful of guys, but then the mix between high school and the transfer portal, I don't think it'll always be 50, 50, but they said the other way, the other side of the transfer portal beyond the quick fix, which maybe they'd be more into is guys who have three to four years of eligibility remaining. So West Weeks, but they, they circled Colby Fields. A South Carolina transfer, what did he do? Matty B played in a couple of games. I mean, he took yeah. a red shirt, but they said, hey, look, he moved on to campus in August. Now he's on our campus. So he's been out of high school for six months. That's not, we still develop that guy. That guy still got four years of college. So they view guys like that, that in the portal almost like an extension of recruiting a high school guy that yes he already signed to the college but maybe he's only been there six months maybe he was there a year and and there you're not that far removed and you've got enough time left eligibility left to be developed and and you don't need to be immediately ready which i don't you know i don't think west weeks or colby fields or those guys are guys they're relying on to come in and start at linebacker but gives them depth depth that they can develop and uh, i found it interesting because at notre dame and obviously the transfer portal maddie b is relatively new or at least this element of of a one-time free transfer which um they described almost as pulley and said it's free agency let's be real it's yeah. a one-time free agent to go anywhere you want that that's here to stay and that you've got to work it but they want to work it more towards just a couple of quick fixes then you feel good about the rest of your roster and you're and you're always building it from the bottom right that yeah you're continuing to stack up guys who give you depth that you're banking on developing uh, and not every year going into it, you know, needing to recruit a strong top five class just to feel good about your team next year. So the portal sort of dominated a lot of the Polian discussion, which, again, Kelly talked a little bit about it as well. But uh, I found that interesting. I'm, I was curious to hear their thoughts on how they had put the class together, what they were thinking, how they weighed that guy with only a year left versus a guy who's got a bunch of years left. Um, and it seems like they've got a good grip on what they want their plan to be moving forward. Yeah, I thought I thought Polian's quote that you kind of mentioned was really interesting when he kind of treated it like free agency. And he was calling his dad and his brother who in the NFL asking them about, you know, how they handle free agency to a degree. And that's kind of what it's become. And that's to have that voice and to have that kind of um, mind on the staff in a recruiting coordinator and a special teams coordinator role. I think that's huge. And so Polian was a real standout to me. If you just like look at that first day on Wednesday, um, not only in, in, you know, how he conducted himself and everything like that. Cause I thought the entire coaching staff conducted themselves really impressively um, there. I think we, we talked about it afterward. There was no real bad interview, like on the entire staff, we talked to almost everybody there and it was just like, or I mean, we did talk to everybody there and it was just like, these guys are awesome. Uh, but you could tell Polian has the experience you want in a, position in a key position on LSU right and a caliber a, a top you know an elite job an elite program you have to have a guy in Brian Polian that is experienced in multiple areas and that almost to me like you have him a recruiting coordinator and like in this position I'm like this is a guy who I could see being a head coach like he was a head coach obviously at Nevada and it didn't work out but like this is a head coach you have on your roster right here and um, obviously, there was a lot of ex-head coaches in the college ranks, but this is a guy who I was thoroughly impressed with. So Brian Polian, 
stood out to me. Um, and then I got to talk to Kerry Cooks, um, got to talk to uh, Jamar Kane, Robert Steeples, uh, a little bit with Matt House, um, not as much with House, though. Um, and all, all of them were very, very impressive. I mean, Steeples, you could tell the excitement in his voice just to get this opportunity. And, you know, it's something he's been working for for years, you know, from the high school ranks up. Um, Jamar Kane, you could just see the um, experience coming from Oklahoma and knowing how to recruit and what he's looking for in recruits and um, just being a really strong defensive-minded, uh, a real strong defensive line coach, I, I was impressed with. And then Kerry Cooks in the back end looks like he just has a really good understanding of what this defense needs to do in the back end and how to improve. So that's kind of a, a quick summary of those three, but I was – I mean, to say I was blown away, I guess, is, is impressive. But we were usually not able, or at least I wasn't because I got to the party late, but to talk to the assistant head, the assistant coaches, right, we're usually not um, privy to that. This was an opportunity for us to get to talk to them, and they were just really impressive to me. Yeah, okay, so defense was the first day, um, and special teams, obviously, recruiting coordinator, Poli, and we touched on that. I thought, okay, so a couple things with Jamar Kane that stood out to me. Recruiting-wise, I think we're seeing him – his name's out there a lot, right? Because um, he's recruiting nationally. A lot of these guys are top 100, mm -hmm. top 250 type guys. So um, they're in the news a good bit, you know, and doing interviews and, and LSU and Jamar Kane are often mentioned. And I asked Kane about this and he said, it's a real luxury because if you think about all the, I mean, Matt House is coming from the NFL. Den Brock's coming from Cincinnati. Uh, Joe Sloan's coming from La Tech. Frank Wilson's coming from McNeese. Jamar Kane really is the only guy and I guess Brad Davis stayed but that is coming from Oklahoma a school that's on LSU's level and is recruiting the same guys so you know Joe Sloan is recruiting a whole new level of quarterbacks than he was at La Tech you know Matt House is recruiting college kids again it's going to be a different level than he did when he was at Kentucky Kane talked about hey look being at Oklahoma he was like this 2023 class that you see my name out there a lot. You see guys talking about their relationship with me. And he said, I was done with Oklahoma's 2022 D-line class really by last summer. So he said, I was already on 23. And now going from OU to LSU, it's, you know, they're on par. They're teams that every year competing. To, the goal is to be in the playoffs. They have top five, 10 recruiting classes. So a lot of these kids, he was very close with at OU. And it's not hard for him to transition and say, all right, and now at LSU, SEC, another big time school, you'll have an offer. So I think you're going to see him find some success in this class. Not easier, you know, he's going to have to put in the work, but that he'll be able to hit on some big name guys because he's already had that connection. I also thought it was interesting that he said that he's also a run game coordinator, but that he'll work a lot with House on where Kane will almost oversee, at least practice wise, maybe the front seven on defense. And mm -hmm. that'll give House the ability to bounce mm -hmm. around to the D-line, the linebackers, the DBs, the entire 11, you know, installing different things, uh, getting a feel for personnel. Um, so I think that those two working together will be interesting to see. With House, I think everyone just said, hey, what, what kind of defense are you going to run? Um, and the expected answer was multiple, and that's what he said. Um, but you could tell that he was, he was excited to get in there and get a feel for being multiple and see what, you know, what pieces they had to work with in the front seven. Um, and – I think the transition back to college for him sounded like something he was excited about. And yeah. he said, look, it's not in the NFL. He said, it's great. And you're dealing with professionals, but you're not really developing, you're coaching them. You're not developing them as much. They're already there. They're, they know what to do by that age. They know 
uh, you know, what comes with the territory, what's demanded. Uh, and he said, the joy of college is watching them. You get a kid at 17, 16 that you're recruiting, you land him, you develop him, you get to be there uh, in the photos on graduation day with his family. Uh, and there's a, a rewarding sense, I guess, to being in college and, and being at this level. So he sounded pretty excited about that. And he talked a lot, not a lot. I asked him, so he talked about it. But he said that he and Harold Perkins have had a bunch of phone calls since uh, he ended up getting here and Perkins obviously signed Perkins being a five-star out of Houston. Um, I don't know what immediate expectations we should have. You know, he's a top five player in the country, a great linebacker. Uh, but house talked a lot about, he said, look, the film's great and all that. He's like, but this fan base is going to love Harold. The person he was like, he's energetic. He's um, has a real desire to be developed, to come in here, to be coached, to try to earn a spot. Um, I could just tell that, and maybe that was kind of the first uh, conversations he had had again, you know, in recruiting and being back, uh, bringing a guy onto the team. So he seemed excited about that. Um, I didn't get to talk to Cooks as much as I did Steeples, but Steeples, yeah. the corners coach, I thought it was interesting. He's the youngest guy. He was just coaching high school football a couple of years ago. <clears throat> so I think he's got a real relatability with the guys that are going to be, you know, in his room on the team, a bunch of 18 to 22 year olds. And um, I think he was big on the relationship side of it. You know, we've read a bit about his time as a high school coach. He had taken in his twenties, this team that wasn't that great uh, in Missouri to Smet and took him uh, to back-to-back state championships, a national, I think like a number six team in the country at one point, uh, but found a lot of success and then went to the Vikings. And now he's here after just a year. And he said for his room, it's like, Yes, maybe I have one of the biggest tasks because Stingley's gone, Ricks is gone, McLeathern's gone, all these guys enter the transfer portal, and you bring back Ray Darius Jones and Demarius McGee. We were wondering, uh, you know, in January, is Ray Darius even going to still be on the team? Like, you know, he's been on the team for a few years, he hasn't played, is he going to want to go somewhere, you know, hasn't played extensively, is he going to want to go somewhere else? <clears throat> and I think people said, look, I've talked a lot with those two, and those two seem to be the most eager that, you know, the, they have the eagerness you want out of a kid because he said for both of them and maybe specifically Ray Darius, it's like they wipe the slate clean and there's, he's got a chance now to be the best player he can be, go to class, you know, show up early to meetings with steeples and make that first impression that, you know, it's almost like it's a fresh start. And he said, he thinks that's going to be really good for those two guys, but he said, it's also the same for, Makai Garner and Jared Converse and these kids that are transferring in, they don't know steeples and, and it's a fresh chance for them to come in and prove themselves, <clears throat> you know, at a higher level in the SEC West, um, you know, going to uh, try to live up to that DBU standard, everything that comes with it. So I thought that steeples and a lot of coaches talked about clean slates, but I think steeples said kind of hinted that that was going to be really good for his room because it's a bunch of guys that, either have been here and haven't started or have been starting other places and are now coming here trying to get that uh, starting nod. And, and he felt like, hey, if I can get that relationship with them, uh, that all these guys are going to feel like they have a shot to be out there and that that's going to turn into a really productive offseason for them. Yeah. Um, so Matt House, to, to kind of wrap up the defensive point here, uh, Matt House talked about being more multiple as every coach in the country does when they get to a new job. Um he not only said that because I think he obviously you have to be multiple to a degree in the SEC, but also because I don't think he 
he doesn't know what he has. None of these coaches really know what they have. And that was an overlying theme. That was theme a theme, you know, right? Yeah. If you go to either side of the bowl, these coaches, were, it felt bad. I don't. I didn't ask much about specific personnel, but they were getting asked a lot about specific personnel. And it was like, uh, yeah, he's great. You know, I, I'm excited to get to work with him. But it's like they they haven't seen – like they've seen tape of them, but they haven't seen them up close personal enough to where you can be like, oh, this guy – you know, we're going to work on his footwork. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. They, they were just like, it felt, it was kind of weird getting to see them ask, get asked questions about specific personnel when they're still trying to learn about this. So that's what you kind of saw from house uh, to a degree and from the entire coaching staff to, to your point. Yeah, no, there was no, well, there was one and you and I sat with him our very last interview, Brad Davis, the only coach who's back. Yes. Other than Brad Davis, no coach talked about any specific player. Now, now, like as in terms of like a depth chart or where they were, I mean, not even quarterback, right? I mean, yeah. there was none of that. And, and that's to be understood um, because they're a whole fresh staff. But uh, it is. It's And look, they, a lot of them, seven of the 10 coaches had never worked with Kelly before. Obviously, a lot of them haven't ever worked together before. Um, Frank Wilson was saying it's almost like everybody – from players to coaches is walking around with name tags the first couple of months because yeah. nobody knows anybody. So I think this off season will be a lot about just feeling things out and, and look, we can transition because today we got to talk to the offense <clears throat> and Denbrock talked about that, but he talked about the excitement of like, you've been a coach forever. You go, you know, you're at Cincinnati, you run this brand of offense, which is, you know, very defined. Now you're recruiting to that brand of offense and, and you kind of just get into a rhythm and, and that's what you want. Right. But he said, when you don't even know what you've got, then you have no idea what offense you're running. And he was like, that's going to be what's fun this spring. And, you know, for a coach who's been around the block, it's almost like reinvigorating that, Hey, I've got to go out here and start this thing almost from scratch. But yeah. the silver lining being we can be anything we want to let's find what works for you know, the guys that are on this team and look, Notre Dame and Cincinnati's offenses by and large were pretty much similar. I mean, you know, not that different in terms of how they operate. So <clears throat> I don't think whether it's Kelly's offense or Denbrock's offense or you know, whatever, however you want to frame it, I think we probably do know that they would want it to look similar to, to what they've been running at Notre Dame and, and Cincinnati. But again, without knowing any of these guys, they're, you can tell the coaches are, are pumped and are excited that, hey, look, not only am, it's not like one coach just got hired on staff and he sort of just falls in line. And it's an entire staff saying, who are yeah. we? What are we going to be? What do we have? Yeah. Uh, and because of that, I think there was kind of like a collective excitement among the group that's kind of palpable that you could feel that uh, they were all like, hey, this is going to take our best effort because uh, as from players to us, it's, it's kind of starting from ground zero. Yeah, when when we broke off and Denbrock took the table um, to it with like me and like three other guys, um, they asked him about the tight end position, and he said we need to get more production out of that, plain simple. And then I asked him about how he's going to balance. You know, they've gone 12, 13 personnel a lot with a lot of tight end usage in the past, and you have these this receiving room that has a lot of talent. How are you going to mix that in? And he said. And that's where it kind of went back to him not fully knowing, I don't think, what what they have. 
because then he just kind of went back to the multiple answers. Like if we have to run 10 personnel, if we have to run 11 personnel, it's whatever we have to do to, you know, be successful because we have the talent and stuff like that. So very generic. Like I wasn't expecting to get a rundown of the offense in that question, but I do think it's interesting to kind of see his reaction when you do ask him about how is he going to handle having more receiver talent than he's ever had in his career. Like, at, at any point, like, yes, the, there were some Notre Dame teams with Will Fuller that were really good. Um, Cincinnati had some okay guys. But, like, LSU at its peak is different than those guys. And so can you get away with running 12 personnel with only having two tight end, two receivers on the field for, like, a, a lot of the game? I don't know, and I don't think he knows the answer to that yet. So the evolution of this offense is going to be something I'm watching for throughout the spring. And I want to go to another player, another coach, rather, that I think embodies that because you talked about coaches going from a similar level. I think um, on the offensive side of the ball, Cortez Hankton going from Georgia to LSU no is is the one that kind of caught my eye there because I went to I went to Hankton after spending some time with Denbrock, and Hankton was a guy who I was like, okay, this guy kind of gets it. He he's not he's not in a moment that's too big here, and not none of the coaches were, but this is Hankton's a young coach, you know, kind of like Steeples. But he's been at Georgia the past four years, and he was still – you could tell he was still giddy about winning a national championship. And so Hankton's a coach who's going to come in and has a room full of guys, and he's been recruiting them. And he said he's recruited or at least talked to 85 to 90% of the guys in that room. So he's able to walk in that room, and he knows the guys. And he's at least has a you know a built-up relationship there to where it's not like, oh, hi, my name's Cortez. Like, no, they know each other. So – um that is an aspect of it that I'm also very interested in from the pass game perspective is Hankton isn't stepping into a room as a guy who doesn't know, you know, he's not in steeple situation where they have a bunch of turnover and they don't know each other and they're meeting each other. Hankton steps in this room and he knows X, Y, and Z. He knows these guys pretty much because he was at Georgia. He was recruiting them to an, to an extent. So that he is the guy that I was impressed with as well. Also because of his, I mean, philanthropy and he was you know he's involved in a lot of stuff in the community and stuff like that so he was he was an awesome guy to talk to yeah yeah i'll well i'll touch on this kind of over kind of an overarching theme and ask kelly about this and then i'll a quick tidbit on on hankton but i think that a common thread at least that i've seen is steeples was a high school you know football coach state champion um, you know, Jamar Kane and Denbrock have been on teams that were competing for the playoffs. Hankton just won a national team, championship at Georgia. Uh, Kelly, you know, won a national championship at the D2 two levels, had a ton of success. Uh, Matt House just won a Super Bowl with the Chiefs uh, two years ago and or a couple of few years ago. But I was uh, but I asked, look, what is because he had mentioned like there was they wanted to hire coaches with experience. They wanted to hire winners and they wanted to hire enough staff to help lock down Louisiana. And I asked Kelly, why is that, that, you know, the piece of having a proven coach who's won or been at the highest level and competed to get there is so important or what does that really do for a staff? And he says it sets this immediate standard kind of in the building of what it takes. And, and I think we kind of heard all of them talk about that. Like Hankton's not going to come here and say, and it's like the old adage, like no one's ever, stumbled into a national championship or, you know, winning a, a title or whatever. I mean, you're doing it because behind the scenes, that practice, coaching-wise, execution on game days, you're just prepared and you're you're putting yourself in the right position at all times to be there and, and to be competing for a title. And Kelly said, look, it's important when a coach doesn't have to 
learn that as part of your staff, right? That he comes in with the knowledge that may look, if, if Hank didn't see something going on in the receiver room or whatever, and he says, this isn't up to standard. And he knows that because he was just at Georgia where he was part of a team that beat Bama and goes and wins a national championship and has a great year. And he understands sort of not just the foundation, but everything else that comes after that of, of what you need to build and, and sustain success. And, and I think for Kelly, who's been around it so long, he certainly gets it. Um, but I think it was important in a way for him to find a lot of other guys who'd been in those positions. And, and certainly Hankton's one of them. Um, and you could tell Hankton, and I'll touch on Frank Wilson in a second, we're excited to be here and, and Hankton being able to recruit Louisiana because he's a Louisiana guy. Um, you know, he went to high school in New Orleans. He's come to the state to recruit guys. And, and he said, look at Georgia. Georgia's one of the top talents producing states in the country. Georgia football team can go all over the country and recruit guys. But at LSU, and you look at the track record, they've had success with just, I mean, you could just the Louisiana guys, name them in the NFL, Jefferson, Chase, Marshall got drafted, Odell, Jarvis. Um, you know, you go up and down the list, and it's Louisiana guys. You look at the team now, Boutte, uh, these young guys, Besh and Neighbors and all of them. So, Jare Jenkins is a vet. You can just recruit this state. And he said for him, because he was one of those kids, he said that kids in Louisiana are just cut different. And he said there's a want and, and kind of a desire to make it almost and prove that you can play at that level that he said sometimes you aren't going to get when you're – in Texas or in California or in Georgia or in Florida recruiting guys uh, that he felt like guys who come up in Louisiana and then you put them in that LSU uniform and play in for the state, he thinks sort of raises that level even more. And, and you could tell he was excited to team up with Frank Wilson and, and not compete against him in New Orleans and, and obviously across Louisiana. But for them to lock it down New Orleans, their home city and where they've got so many connections all across the city and, and certainly all across uh, different high schools and coaching staffs and um, you feel like now they're in a good position where they're going to be able I don't know if they'll lock down the state but it won't be for a lack of effort and certainly not for a lack of um, you know <laughs> ammo uh, because yeah. they've got guys on staff now who've got connections all over yeah uh, that was kind of the theme of the offense of the offensive staffs right I mean Frank Wilson uh, even Joe Sloan I mean Brad Davis we know you know Baton Rouge guy has recruited Louisiana very well. Joe Sloan, a uh, guy who I talked to, and then you came in, we talked to, I mean, you know him as well. Uh, nine years at Louisiana Tech, plenty of experience uh, recruiting uh, Louisiana in, in those years. So you basically the entire offensive staff outside of the offensive coordinator is Louisiana-based. So all Denbrock has to do is, you know, implement the scheme and do all the, uh, you know, the, the nitty gritty stuff and he'll be involved in recruiting as well. But, you know, you have these guys who have so many connections that it just makes life a lot easier for you as a staff. So that was kind of the theme there. And that's what makes me excited about this staff in particular is that they're not pulling in guys that, like you, you have a new head coach from the Midwest, you have an offensive coordinator from the Midwest, everybody else on this offense is just rooted in Louisiana in one way or another. Yeah, I think, uh, well, and you start at the top with Frank Wilson. I mean, and yeah. it's, you know, look, he was here when they built all those great teams, right, in the, what, 2010 range to after. I, guess, I can't remember how long he was here. but It was, uh, yeah, 10 to like 15 or something like that. Yeah, so, but that was, it was almost like a, a stretch of glory years for LSU recruiting, it felt like, because they were locking down the state. They were, 
you know, landing guys like Fournette and Matthew and Jarvis and Odell and, um, you know, Anthony Johnson, Matt, there were so many names in the stretch and then Frank Wilson played a role in it. And we were talking about, I was talking to him about that today. It's like, yeah, okay. You've got Joe Sloan and Brad Davis and Cortez Hankton and yourself. And I guess I'd have to think on defense. None of those guys are from here. Um, but that, all, that's a lot of guys, like almost half your yeah. on-field staff is from Louisiana and then your head coach. But, it, you know, Brian Kelly is, is going to be kind of in charge of everything. And then Polium's a recruiting coordinator. But I guess my point was if, and let's use this class. We can't really use this class for example because they just got here, but so let's use this next one. If Shelton Sampson leaves the state, the wide receiver out of Catholic, or if, if some other kid leaves the state, so often from the fans they'll – won't say, well, that's Brian Kelly's got to lock up the state. That's on him. Or, or I can't believe, you know, Cortez Hankton, the receivers coach, New Orleans guy didn't lock that down. It's like, well, Frank is in charge. And, you know, well, Frank will get that done. And, and if it doesn't come through, well, then, you know, it's, it's Frank's name out there. And, and he sort of just talked about how for him coming, coming back here, he always knew in the back of his mind was a possibility. He knows the state. He loves being at LSU, and it's a chance for him uh, to really work, obviously, a lot of the connections he's built over time. Uh, and he says he takes that on right now. And, and he says, look, it's I look at it that way. I do need to know, if, even if it's not – I don't have an area. You know, New Orleans isn't just my area. I'll be in yeah. North Louisiana, and if a principal uh, has, you know, this to say and, or, you know, a guidance counselor thought we wronged somebody, I'm the one to go – I want to go fix it. And he said – and that's kind of who, he, who he's always been. And I think that kind of sets, uh, if he can do that, and then you can show Joe Sloan and Cortez Hankton and Brad Davis, younger guys, the way and, and kind of how to recruit this state and how to work relationships and build relationships, uh, I think will be good, right? Like that's a great mentor for those guys to have because you got to remember last time Frank was here. I mean, a decade ago, Frank was viewed as like one of the hot young coaches in the country, um, you're a San Antonio man, you got hired by mm -hmm. UTSA and, and they had just kind of really obviously put together their football program. Then he goes to McNeese, but he was like the alpha dog recruiter and everybody out there knew him. And now he's coming back a decade later, twice a head coach. Um, you know, he shows back up with gray hair, you know, he's been uh, through UTSA and, and McNeese football head coaching jobs. Uh, when you show back up with the gray yeah, hair that'll do it. And, and the gray hair, but, He's a, he's a bit more wiser, I think, this time around, but he's also coming into 10 years ago, kids weren't on Twitter all the time and they weren't expecting an official visit to be one where you're doing two hour photo shoots and video shoots and then NIL, which he talked a good bit about. I have a lot of that for the site, but he was like, look, back in the, I'm a relationship man and forever recruiting was just about relationships. Well, now it's about let's just specifically say NIL. And I asked, you know, there's going to be fans who say, well, why do I care about recruiting with that? They're all just going to go to whoever bids the most the night before signing day. And he said that the plan will be to get LSU and he feels confident. He said, look, I know what's going on behind the scenes that they'll be on par with the schools they're competing against when it comes to NIL stuff. But he feels like if they can build relationships and really harp on Louisiana, because it's going to be easiest to keep Louisiana guys, he feels like, at home you've just got that yeah. natural recruiting pitch there but that he feels like okay if we've got enough time to make relationships with these guys a we'll get a feel for which guys are just out for some big nil deal and which guys are actually hey yeah. look 
I want to be developed. I want to get my degree. I want to play for y'all. I want to play at LSU. And the NIL is sort of a secondary discussion. Um, but he said it would be naive to think that you can just rely on relationships now. And he said putting together NIL packages, dealing that out with kids ahead of time, having all that in place long before signing day is the goal right now and what they're having to do. Um, because, and he even said, look, there were conversations here where we were down the final days talking to kids and things, a reporter asked this uh, and said, look, things maybe have used to have been under the table and okay, here's what the school's offering us. But now it's on top of the table. Like, did you ever have those moments where boom, here's a piece of paper. Here's what this school's offering us. Can you beat it? And he said, yeah, he said there were a handful of those that went on at the end to where we were sitting there knowing a number another school had and being asked to beat it. And that's an element of recruiting he had never been a part of before. And, and obviously everybody's sort of new to it, but he said he feels like they've got a plan in place to where they can avoid a lot of that. It's coming down to the final moments and now we're in a bidding war uh, situation through simply educating guys throughout the process about it and, and what NIL really should be and, and what they should be focused on. And then, uh, really still harping on the relationship side of things. So it's good to see Frank back. I mean, that's a, that's a familiar face. He's worked here for a long time before. We've covered him. Everyone who's listening, uh, who's been a fan of LSU for, you know, at least more than before 2019 knows Frank well. And uh, I think that L recruiting will be in good hands uh, with those guys. Uh, I think that we we got a feel for them. All of them seem like a pretty good staff. But I think when you've got a guy like Polian, who's almost that GM type, coupled with a guy like Frank, who is certainly the relationship type and knows every little avenue you need to be working, I think that they'll be in a good spot. I would imagine they have a good 23 class. Yeah. There you go. Um, so overall, uh, enjoyable time uh, getting to know the guys, getting to see the guys. And uh, plenty of content will be up on the site, like Shay said. Um, that's all I have. Uh, I think, uh, are you good, Shay? You got any other tidbits? Uh, not for the site, I guess we could save a lot for the Um, no, it's good. Well, the only last thing I'd say is we talked to Brad Davis. He was obviously retained. You and I were sitting with him at the end and he did say at the center spot, cause they don't have one that they're not transfer portal hunting at the moment that six guys, but I guess notably competing there, but he felt like Marlon Martinez, Garrett Dellinger, Kimo Makaneole, Charles Turner, I guess would be four guys that are returning, um, that he said are getting looks there, but he did say that Martinez is. Martinez and Cam Wire, the two guys coming back with the most experience. Obviously, Wire is a tackle, but um, but he said this is that time for for Martinez to take the next step. You started some games, you've played in twenty plus games. Now's the time to to make that next step. And he feels like, and he said by design, bringing in Miles Frazier, a multi year starter, bringing in Tremont Shorts, a four year starter, guys who are coming here expecting to win jobs. He hopes and and believes that it's going to light a fire under the current O line and. And then he'll see some pretty good competition across the board there this spring. Well, there you have it. Um, again, a very productive couple of days uh, for us. Get to see the coaches. We will have plenty of content up on Go 24-7 uh, throughout the week, going into next week. I mean, I joked with Shay, we got like two weeks of content out of these two days. So plenty of stuff on the way for our VIPs. Um, if you're not a subscriber, check out the offers we have available for you all. I believe we have the first month for a dollar and uh, a full year for 30% off. So check out those deals. If you're not already subscribed to the YouTube channel, leave us a like. Uh, follow us on Twitter. There are Twitters right there, at Shay Dixon and at Matthew Bruni underscore. Uh, we appreciate all of y'all for joining us, and we will talk to y'all later. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. 
I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 